Thank you very much, um, Leslie, for reading that to us. As we come to look at that passage, let's um, pray together and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray this morning that you would help me to be faithful as I speak and open out all of our hearts to hear what you are saying to us through it. In your name we pray. Amen. It says in verse 15 of the passage we just read, Be very careful then how you live, not as wise, not as unwise, sorry, but as wise. Wisdom is about choosing the right way to go. It's about choosing the right path in life. It's about choosing a path in life that leads to a life that is flourishing, good, fruitful, and a blessing. And the Bible's full of a call to choose life, a call to choose the direction of wisdom. You see it in some of the Psalms. You see it especially in the book of Proverbs. Actually, in Proverbs 9, is a picture. Um, it's a bit of a picture of um, really for young men. So Proverbs is a bit sexist, if you like. It's written for, for young men. It's sort of, my, my son, listen to my words. And, and it often sets up this um, idea of two different women. Who are you going to choose, young man? Which woman are you going to choose? Are you going to choose the woman of foolishness? There's some attractions there, but actually it's going to lead you ultimately to death. Or are you going to choose the woman who is wisdom, who can bring you life? And actually, there's a lovely picture in Proverbs 9 where um, the woman of wisdom um, sets up a lovely sort of stall of feast and invites the young man who would like to come and feast on wisdom. And in so doing, finding the way of insight, the way of understanding, the way of life. Choose life. Choose wisdom. And in this section of Ephesians, Paul is encouraging us to choose the right way to live. He's calling us to choose wisdom. But of course, Ephesians um, is set up in a way that, um, so that's what the woman in Proverbs says, leave your simple ways and you will live, walk in the way of understanding. But in Ephesians, Paul is sort of saying, actually, in a way, God has chosen you. And he's chosen you for life. When you become a Christian, when you accept Christ as your saviour, then you are made alive with Christ. Do you remember back in Ephesians chapter 2? There's that before and after. Before it says you're dead in your sins. But then it says, God in his great mercy, out of love for you, um, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And so as Christians, we have this new life. It's a life um, that's given us by grace, not because we're special, not because we've done anything good, not because we achieve anything, but sheerly because God loves us and God gives to us generously. And when we have this new life, it's a life that leads to eternal life, it's a life that leads to a new relationship, a new status with God, but it's a life that should change the way we live. Um, my favourite verse come, comes in after that, as the conclusion of Ephesians 2. First, um, that section of Ephesians 2 says, for, God, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Actually, literally in the Greek, it says, God prepared in advance for us to walk in. And that image of walk comes from Proverbs 9. It means the way you live your life, the way you walk your life. And that word for walk um, comes up again five times in Ephesians 4 and 5. And it's usually translated, this is the way you should live. 
So in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I urge you, therefore, in the light of all God's done for you, to live a life worthy of the calling. And then in Ephesians 4, verse 17, it says, So I tell you, there, I tell you therefore, no longer to live as the Gentiles do. And in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, and live a life of love. And in chapter 5, verses 7 and 88, it says, Therefore, live as children of light. And then finally, verse 15 of chapter 5, Be very careful, therefore, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Do you see the pattern Paul keeps repeating, keeps coming back to? Uh, because of what Christ has done with you, for you, because you've been made alive in Christ, because of all of this, therefore, live this way. And in chapters 4 and 5, we've been seeing how Paul sets out how we should live. So a couple of weeks ago, we saw we live as part of a united church. Um, last week, um, Claire took us through some, some other things, other ways we should live. Um, a bit more detailed, I won't go through all of the details. And now Paul continues on that theme. In the line of what Christ has done, live this way. So how are we to live? I want to sum up um, some of what Paul says in this passage. There's quite a lot, so I'm only touching on it a bit. But I want to sum it up on the three headings. We need to live differently, we need to live fruitfully, and we need to live gratefully. So first of all, live differently. Sorry, just on a bit. I'm not keeping up with my own PowerPoint. If you're watching at home, you can't see the PowerPoint, so that's fine. First of all, live differently. Um, in this section, Paul talks about people before they're Christians as being in darkness. But he says, we're to live as children of light. Do you see the difference? Darkness and light. And it's three things in this passage that he particularly points out is how we're to live differently to the world. First of all, he says in verse 3, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Then he goes on to say there should no, also be no hint of greed. And later on he says, we should not get drunk. Now, sexual immorality, the words behind that is the Greek word porneia, which is where we get the word porn from. Um, and by that word he means any form of sexual behaviour outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. And by greed, he means that attitude where we're trying to, to amass things for ourselves and collect wealth for ourselves. That's our aim in life. And by getting drunk, he means drinking too much wine and getting drunk. But actually, for us today, that could include drinking too much of other alcoholic drinks or taking drugs, whatever they may be. And when we look at the world around us, actually, these are often the things actually where the world doesn't think these things are bad where sex outside marriage is very common, where um, we're running after getting wealthy and rich for yourself is a, is a common aim for people, and where drinking drugs are also very common. Actually, this is a call to live differently to the world around us, and the world, particularly as it moves away from the Christian influence on its culture, increasingly embraces these things which we're called not to embrace. But Paul says we're to live as children of light. See, Paul's not saying that um, we should look at the rest of the world and look down upon them and say, we're better than you because we're not doing those things. No, we're saved by grace. And Paul says, um, therefore, in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, therefore, there's no reason for boasting. You can't say you're better than others. It's only because of what God's done for you that you can be different. 
It's not to make you feel guilty if these are things that you know have happened in your past or even recently. Um, we're called by, we're saved by grace, not by works. God's forgiveness is complete and utter. He's accepted you utterly in Christ. But what Paul does want us to do is to call us to live differently, to be able to stand out in these ways from the rest of the world. And this image of light and darkness is maybe a helpful one. Imagine you're in a room and everyone in the room is blindfolded. And so everyone walking around the room is going, sort of trying to fill the way. And as they walk around, they sort of maybe bump into things or maybe bump into each other or tread on each other's toes or knock each other over or whatever. Because they're blindfolded, because they're in the darkness. But imagine then someone comes along and takes off your blindfold so you can see. Then you're able to walk around more normally. Then you're able to avoid bumping into and treading on people's toes. You're able to avoid the trip hazards that are around. Suddenly, because you have the light, your life, your way you move around the room will be different. And that's sort of what Paul's saying here. Because Christ has made us, God has made us alive in Christ, we see differently, we become children of light, we understand things differently. And in particular, we're to see that we're called to live a life of love. And a life of love that's based um, not on the world's idea of love, but a love that's based on what God has done for us. So in chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says, Live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And it's then that he says, no sexual immorality, no greed, and later on, no drunkenness. In other words, the no sexual immorality is sort of saying, when you're living in love, then you won't want to be sleeping with someone outside of marriage. When you're living in love, you won't be greedy. And when you're living in love, you won't be drunk. That maybe comes a bit later. So actually, these things are about living in love. And you might think, well, how do we understand that? I mean, after all, people talk about going back to 1967, before I was born, so it's quite a while ago now. But people talk about 1967 as the summer of love. You heard that phrase? Um, and why was it called a summer of love? It's because, and they talk about free love. And why was that? Because that was a time when people suddenly, suddenly, suddenly began to feel sexually free from all the constraints of the Christian past, the Christian traditions of the past. They, they felt it was okay to have sex with whoever you liked, whenever you liked. You're free to do it, no longer constrained by those things. As they call it free love and the summer of love. But actually, as Christians, we say that's, that's not the sort of love that God wants from us sort of love that God calls us to is the love of Christ, the love that's sacrificial for others, not about fulfilling our sexual desires or whatever. And you see, Christianity sees, and the Bible teaches that, that sex is about uniting two people together in a permanent and lasting union. And, and so within marriage, where there's that formal commitment already, um, sex is a loving act, it's a good act. But outside of marriage, um, at best, it's a, a distortion of the truth because that, that commitment has not been formalized. And at worst, it's a downright lie, but a powerful lie that's physical and affects us deeply. And so because of that distortion of the truth, because of that lie, it be, it's actually an unloving act. And often it's entered into more about fulfilling our desires than it is for the sake of the other person. 
We're to see differently as Christians because we understand the way God has made our world, the way God has made us as sexual beings. And greed, again, many people won't say, well, it's okay to get as much stuff for yourself as well as you'd like. It's not harming other people. But again, that's to miss the point and understand what Christian love is all about. Christian love is about generosity, isn't it? God in Christ gave himself for us. Um, he gave himself freely. It's what we didn't deserve. So actually, if your life is about greed, it's about massing things for yourself, then that's the opposite of generosity. Generosity is thinking, how can I give for other people? How can I use my talents, my gifts, my wealth for the sake of others? It's the opposite of greed. And so again, greed is unloving. We're called to live differently. We're called to live as children of light, seeing what God has enabled us to see about the world and what he's done for us, and living a love, life of love that imitates God and imitates Christ. But secondly, we're called to live fruitfully. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul, Paul talks in verse um, 10, oh, sorry, verse 11. He says, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Actually, people often enter into sexual relationships and they can spend years caught in their sexual relationship they then realise is bad for them because they've gone into it too quickly, they've chosen the wrong person. And it's fruitless as a waste of time. People can spend all their time amassing loads of wealth and stuff for them, but it doesn't really bring them true happiness. And you can't take it with you when you die. It's a fruitless waste of time. People can spend their lives getting drunk and so they're unable and incapable of living a normal life. They become fruitless. These are fruitless deeds. They don't achieve anything for God's purposes. They don't achieve anything for the good of others. Rather, Paul says, as Christians, we're to live fruitfully. And in verse 9, he says, for the fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. And particularly the image here fits up with, picks up with what Jesus says about our calling. We're called to be the light of the world. We're called to shine out in the world. And in living differently, you will shine out in the world. And that's in a way why it's hard to live differently, isn't it? Because when we live differently, we, in a sense, expose what, how others are living. And others may feel uncomfortable if you're not joining with them, in with them and getting drunk. Or you're not joining in with them in, in sort of just amassing wealth. Or you're not joining in with them in some kind of sexual morality. If you say no to those things, people will think, actually, you're judging them. Or you're exposing the way they're living. And they'll find it difficult. And we'll find it difficult because they find it difficult. That's why it's hard to live differently. But actually, that's part of the point. Because the hope is not to make them feel bad or guilty, but the hope is that in seeing our difference, they will be transformed and see their need for Christ and turn to him as well, and so become children of light themselves. Um, these last couple of verses in verse 13 to 14 say, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That's the, maybe the bit where it feels uncomfortable for people. But... The implication is actually by, by exposing people, they can come then and be woken up. It's a bit like going to your children's room, isn't it? And pulling the curtains open so the light comes flooding in and they're woken up. We want people to wake up to who, what God has done for them. We want people to wake up to what Christ has done for them. Oh, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. As we live lives of light and love, 
the hope is that other people will see that, other people will be challenged, and so people will look to the one that we follow to Jesus Christ. And they too will turn to him and be made alive in Christ. Isn't that being fruitful? Isn't that making a difference to the world? Um, I think I've shared this story before at St. Luke's, but some of you wouldn't have heard it. Um, there's a guy who was a local um, associate vicar in Canterbury. He's actually moved on now, but he told me that how he became a Christian. He said, basically, he went to university. He wasn't a Christian at all, no Christian background. But he noticed that the Christians lived differently. They weren't going out getting drunk like everyone else, or most other people. They weren't sleeping around with people. And he began to wonder, why are they living differently? What's special about them? And so he began to investigate the Christian faith for himself and eventually came to faith. And in coming to faith, he's now gone to be a vicar and helping others to come to faith as well. That's living fruitfully. Those Christians at that university shone as the light of Christ and ended up bringing that guy to Christ. So we're called to live fruitfully, to make a difference to our world. But finally, we're called to live gratefully. Um, This comes forward from the wisdom part. Actually, Paul, um, back in verse 4, talks about not not having foolish or coarse or obscene talk, but rather thanksgiving. We're to use our voices to give thanks to God, to praise God. Doesn't that make sense? If we we, we know that we've been made alive in Christ, if we know that we have this wonderful gift of a relationship with God where we're forgiven, if we know that we have eternal life, what should we do other than give thanks to God and praise him? And, so, and, and this is where we find joy, isn't it? When we give thanks for things. Isn't that a joyful act? When you, when you thank someone, do you, do you go, well, thank you very much for that? It's a bit, bit of a sort of, doesn't make sense, does it? But when you thank someone, actually, you find happiness and joy in yourself. When we thank God, we find happiness and joy in ourselves. And so, so rather than trying to find joy in getting drunk, Paul says, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not with spirits like whiskey or gin, but with God's Holy Spirit. And what will God's Holy Spirit enable you to do? It will enable you to praise God. And not just praise God by yourself, notice. It says, um, speaking to one another, in verse 19, with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And for those of us that are here in church this morning, isn't that part of what we're doing? We want to sing and praise God. And when we sing and praise God together, we're lifted together, aren't we? That's one of the things we've missed so much during lockdown. And it's so wonderful we can come back to it. We can sing together. And actually, isn't that one of the reasons why people should be coming back to church? We need each other to encourage us to have that grateful attitude. And as we praise God, we grow in that grateful attitude. As Christians, part of our life of living as a Christian is to prioritize meeting with other Christians on a regular basis, that we can encourage one another through our praise and our singing and our rejoicing. And actually, although you may think that the only person doing any good, that's helping the church are the people at the front, well, rubbish. You may just come into church and sit in the pew, but as you sing along, as you praise God, you're encouraging those around you. And actually, you probably know that it's much more encouraging when there's lots of people in the church than when it's just one or two. So, so your attendance at church makes a difference. It matters. 
But for some people, particularly maybe those watching on, at home, coming back to church after such a long period may be very hard. It's, it's actually a big step. And particularly with worries over mixing with other people that we've had for so long now. Um, and life making us feel anxious about things with the illness. It is a hard step coming back to church. Um, it's great to see a few people here to come back for the first time in a while. But we need to realize it's hard for people. We need to help them and encourage them and pray for them. I remember when I, when I went, went to London to train as a teacher, and I, I was very last minute organizing my accommodation and got a bed sit. Um, I arranged this bed sit, and someone at the church where I grew up in said, oh, I know a good church near there. You should try that one. But actually, up to that point, I'd never gone to a new church by myself. When I was at home, I was taken as part of the family. When I'd gone to university, there's a whole group of Christians that we went together to a church. I never had to take myself by myself to a new church before. And actually, although I'd, I saw myself as a really committed Christian, a, a strong Christian at the time, I was amazed how hard it was to make myself go to this church which had been recommended, actually go there and join in. It was hard. And for some people now, it's going to be hard coming back. But actually, this is what is part of what is living as a Christian. It's meeting with others and praising God together. And when we do that, we're actually encouraged more and more to be the lights that we're meant to be and to live differently to the world around. Without that, it's very hard. Because I went that Sunday to church and didn't put it off, it's easy to put things off and then put them off again and put them off again and actually you never do anything. But because I went to church that Sunday, um, I was able then to, to grow and develop in my Christian and use my gifts. It was from that church that I was sent to train to be a vicar. It was at that church I met Fiona, my wife. It was actually at that church we got married. There's even one or two people here I met at that church. Um, it was a real blessing to go. It was tough. It was hard. It was difficult. I had to push myself. But it was definitely worth it. And it may be for some people, particularly those watching online, that coming back is going to feel like a really big step, a really hard step. But can I encourage you? It's part of our calling as Christians, and it's worth it. So when you can, do come and join us. And we can enjoy your encouragement as you praise God together with us and we live gratefully together. So we're called as Christians. Because of what Christ has done for us, therefore, live this way. And it's the wise way to live. It's the way that's choosing life. It's a way that means living differently to the world. It's a way that means living fruitfully. And it's a way that means living gratefully. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much um, for this word. Lord, it's challenging in many ways, and it's hard to live different to the world. But I pray that you'd help us to, to live in the way you call us to, uh, and to live lives that are fruitful for you, that are different to the world, and lives that are full of gratitude for all that you've done to us. And help us to gather together to praise your name. Amen.